This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Save a Pooch on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for listening in today. I am Beverly Isla, your host. Today, I have Sharon Seltzer with me, and she will be giving us valuable insights on caring for disabled dogs. And this topic is an important one to discuss because many injured dogs are either given up by owners um, to go to the shelters because they cannot care for them, or many injured dogs, especially with permanent physical disabilities, they have a hard time being adopted. So Sharon is the perfect person to talk to about this because she has a ton of experience dealing with these special scenarios. Now, Sharon, she is the creator and writer of Dog Wheelchair Life. It's a blog that teaches pet owners how to care for a disabled dog. And she is one of the founders of Heaven Can Wait Animal Society in Las Vegas, where they rescue and adopt homeless pets and run the only nonprofit spay and neuter clinic in that area. She's also written for the American Animal Hospital Association newsletter, the Care2 website for social activists, as well as several magazines. So when we get back from these messages, Sharon will be joining us. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with Sharon, founder of Dog Wheelchair Life and co-founder of Heaven Can Wait Animal Society. Thank you for jumping on with me today. I so appreciate you taking some time to share with us your expertise in this area. Well, hi. I'm, I'm really happy to be here too. Excited to talk. <laughs> so let's start with your story. How did you learn about caring for disabled dogs? Because I'm assuming that's not something usually planned. Right. Yeah. And actually, I knew just a little bit because I had been in animal rescue. So I learned a lot because I was introduced when my own dog became disabled. But really, what I knew was enough so that it scared me because I knew that life was not going to be normal. And I knew that I was going to have to deal with taking care of, you know, every part of her body, her bodily functions. But I got introduced in 2008. I have three dogs at the time. And my shepherd mix, um, a little 10-year-old dog, was 2008. We would take a walk. A three-mile loop is around our house. We would walk every single afternoon, and we would go that summer, and she started to slow down. So we teased her, and we said, oh, you're getting to be an old lady. Then she started to take breaks, and then 
she started to do some things inside the house. So she would turn a corner in the house and her back legs would slip out from under her. And I'd look under to see maybe something spilled. Maybe the tile was especially slippery and nothing. So I watched it. It happened a little more often. And after about a month, I said, oh, I, we've got a problem. And she was how old at this time? She was 10. Oh, yeah. Okay. So she was getting up there. Yes. So I kind of it put a little bug in my ear and I'm kind of thinking, I better just pay attention to this. And it happened a little more often. It would happen even when she didn't turn a corner, just when she was walking on the slick surface. And then finally, I realized we have a problem and I better take her in to see the vet. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, we did that. We had an awful lot of tests that she had going on. We never got what we would call a definitive diagnosis, but she had a progressive neurological condition. And after about six months, her hind legs were completely paralyzed and, and she wasn't able to use them. So I had about six months to prepare. So that was kind of interesting uh, situation, but that's really how I learned. I learned you know, from her, from the, the veterinarian's experience. And at the time there was not much online. So it took me uh, several months to figure out where I could find products that would help her. Uh, mm -hmm. And now there, there just are so many wonderful products out there that are great for daily living. Absolutely. And the vets never kind of, um, did they give you any answers back then? Sure. It mimicked a disease. And, and again, I don't know if maybe she had this and we just didn't have the right testing right. Um, called degenerative myelopathy. So oh, yeah, so it was anyways, and it, ultimately it's what you know, she died of, but she was, she lived for another five years uh -huh. and we had a really wonderful life, you know, life went on and, and her life went on. So uh, there can be some wonderful things that happen with a, a dog with a disability. Absolutely. And kudos to you for, you know, sticking it out and learning about it because not everybody would do that sort of thing, especially as the costs increase, right? Right. It does. And, but you'd be surprised. It's, it's a really interesting, wonderful experience ultimately. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we will definitely get into that. But before we do, what are the common conditions from your experience and from what you know that occur in dogs? And I get that, you know, certain breeds are prone to certain conditions. So this can be tricky because not a lot of people know when they're shopping for dogs. Right. And, and I don't want to discourage somebody sure. from getting a certain specific breed yes. just because they're prone dogs, I mean, just like humans, we're prone from our ancestry for all kinds of things. But the two most common, or actually, I'll, I'll tell you the, the three most common, but the, the two that you're going to see the most is intervertebral disc disease or IVDD. And so that's the one that you see, they are typically younger dogs, they're typically smaller breeds, like uh, dachshunds, uh, corgis, shih tzus, beagles, you're going to see that more often. And what happens in this particular illness is, and I think they haven't quite figured it all out yet, but the discs that cushion the spine in between, you know, you have this, it's filled with kind of a jelly-like substance yes. and it cushions the spine when you walk, they start to dry out much earlier. So these dogs will be doing the regular activities that they're normally doing, and rupture a disc. Oh, that sounds so painful. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's painful. It usually requires some surgery. Now that's one type of IVDD. There's another one that you see in some larger dogs or medium-sized breed dogs, and they have the disease, but it hits them differently. And so instead of the discs drying out, 
they become more liquefied and so they burst. So uh, it ruptures. So neither one is pleasant, but these dogs do really, really well once they get back on their feet. And now that you mentioned, I think French, you know, those um, French bulldogs bulldogs are prone to the first one. Yes. Yeah. You see them in a lot of the little dogs. Yeah. And I have a beagle now, so I watch her like a hawk. But she's good. But yeah, but you'll see. And that doesn't happen to every dog. It just happens to, but that's the most common that you'll see. I think if you see a dog who's in a wheelchair, especially if you see a little dog, is IVDD. The second one that happens, and, and again, generally these dogs will then have usually emergency surgery. Yes. Um, yep. Probably a lot of crate rest. So they get better. And then you don't want this to happen again. So then it's a lot of lifestyle changes. And not not dramatic. Some of these dogs, probably majority of the dogs will end up having some sort of hind end weakness or paralysis. So again, there are wheelchairs, there are harnesses, there are lots and lots of mobility devices that a pet owner can get that will help. Right. And and it is a change of life. Oh, I can imagine. Everybody's going to handle this, (laughs) but it but it is it's good. And and you're seeing it more often. You know, when my dog was sick you didn't see a dog in a wheelchair. Now I think, you know, if you go on social media, at least the sites I see, it's everywhere. You see dogs and they're having happy, fulfilling lives. Yes. I have been seeing videos on Facebook where a lot of dogs have these wheelchairs and they honestly don't even, it's like they don't even notice they have a wheelchair. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good to see. They do very well. Yeah. So don't let it deter anybody who's listening. The second disease that you're going to see the most often is called what similar to what my dog had degenerative myelopathy. And mostly that's going to be the the bigger dogs, German shepherds, boxers, Dobermans. And that is a progressive disease. So in that disease, what happens is the spine is protected by a coating called myelin. And it, it, for whatever reason, it starts to wear away. And that's why you start to see a slow deterioration of how the dog moves. And in this particular disease, it's progressive. And so it starts in the back legs, then it starts to go to the front legs, and ultimately it goes to the organs. But you could have five years before that happens of a dog who, again, like my dog, continued on and went for her walks and participated and played with the other dogs and had had great lives. And then I was going to say the last common reason that a dog will end up with paralysis, and that's probably who you're going to see in a shelter or a rescue, is somebody who's had a traumatic injury, hit by a car. Right. Yeah, some of those. So that's probably who's going to end up, what I see, ends up most in the shelters. Wow. And for the third one, I mean, the third one, oh, that's hard to say because it may or may not be progressive and it may or may not be permanent. Right. But from what you've seen in your in your foundation, are those kind of conditions fixable, I guess? <laughs> you know, again, I'm not a veterinarian, but I yes. think that's some of the questions that people should ask when they are thinking about adopting. And hopefully a shelter will have enough history to be able to tell you or the dog's been through some sort of a workup, a medical workup, because that that's one of those things. And again, either way is fine. If the dog is recuperates and is able to run around again, then you've got a win. And if not, there's just life adjustments to make and you'll have a win. You'll have a dog that's still very, very happy to be in a home. Absolutely. And you know what? On that note, I do want to plug in holistic veterinarians. They are so amazing. So if you do have one in your area, I highly recommend, you know, seeing what they're all about. But um, yeah, no, I completely agree. Yeah. For now, we're just going to have a quick break. And when we get back, 
we'll continue talking with Sharon. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There's no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Welcome back to Disabled Pooch. We are talking with Sharon Seltzer about how to care for disabled dogs, a very important topic when it comes to preventing dogs from going to the shelter as well as helping shelter dogs get adopted. So I just want to switch gears here and ask you, what is your advice for dog owners with dogs that develop an injury? So what are your your practical tips from what you've experienced? Well, I was going to start with what's normal. Yes, So it is completely normal to feel overwhelmed, especially if your dog had a ruptured disc. So one day you have a dog who's healthy and happy and just living life to its fullest. And the next day the dog can't move. So it is perfectly normal to feel overwhelmed. And that's, you know, people write we you know, all the time to dog wheelchair life about that. And that's the person who in a month from now is going to be the expert telling all the other moms how to do it. So it's perfectly normal to feel overwhelmed. It's perfectly normal for you to grieve the dog who you've lost. So the dog is still in front of you, but can't do all the things that it used to. And that's perfectly normal for you to grieve. But no, your dog is not grieving for himself. Oh, the dog is fine. They're not feeling sorry for themselves, but it's okay. Yeah, it's okay for you to do that. And then I think the best advice now is to take one day at a time. In most cases, your dog is ultimately going to do fine for a long time. There's one lady who, who I've gotten to know over the years, her name is Casey, and she adopted a little dog named Penny, a little pug that was hit by a car and had kind of a rib sticking out oh, wow. of its back. And so she, that's how she adopted Penny. And I think Penny was like a year and a half old. And then one night, Penny went to bed. She had already lived with her for a year and a half later. The dog was three years old. And the dog woke up screaming in the middle of the night with a, a herniated disc. They went to the veterinarian. They did emergency surgery. But unfortunately, Penny was still paralyzed. And Casey wrote and she said, she's overwhelmed. She is all alone. She knows absolutely nothing about taking care of a paralyzed dog. She had no support around her. And so we kind of talked it through what she's going to need. Is she going to get a wheelchair? Is she need the dog need a harness? This particular dog needed really um, strict what's called crate rest, right? So the dog had to live in a crate, you know, of course, with our support for about four weeks. 
And she started to little by little realize that Penny didn't feel sorry for herself. Penny was fine. Um, Penny healed from her surgery. She was able to come out of her crate. And then one day she saw Penny scooting around the house and stealing treats from a cabinet, just like she did when she was an able-bodied dog. (laughs) And then she ran down the hall. She scooted down the hall, she said, with all of these treats in her mouth. (laughs) And she said, you know what? My dog is back. It's different. But it's it's she the dog was fine. And now she's become one of the go to people. That's we have a a little group and people ask her questions because in just a short period of time, she realized how to take care of all the different needs. So it'll come. And there's lots and lots of material now on the Internet. When I started, there was zip there. It was really hard to find information. It took me months, but now there's any topic you want to know about and any product you want to know. There are lots of harnesses. If your dog, some dogs are able to scoot all around the house like Penny did. Other dogs will need a little bit of help. It depends, you know, where their injury is in their back that allows them to move around. So in my case, we got what's called a support harness and I was able to help Sophie walk with the help of that. So we, you're able to lift her and give her some extra support. Then my other suggestion would be make sure you find a veterinarian who's going to work with you and be supportive. So someone that you can go to for questions, if they don't know, then find another vet. Because once you get that support system around you, all the world is open to you and your dog. Absolutely. And I I do notice nowadays, there's a lot of specialized rehab programs for dogs, like those uh, water therapy. I knew someone that put their dog through that and it really helped with their injury. So that's also good now compared to decades ago. Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, they're showing for even the dogs with degenerative myelopathy, the sooner they get into rehab and you can do rehab at home too. So if you don't live near a rehab center, there are things you can do at home, but as soon as they get in and start doing physical therapy or water therapy, their life expectancy is so much better. And they do so much better with how they can handle their bodies. With the IVDD dogs, we see it's called spinal walking. And so some of these dogs actually kind of, it's a reroute their their path. And, And with physical therapy, there was a study just released that said these dogs can learn how to do this spinal walking. They never really are feeling their legs and their brain is stopped talking to their, telling the legs how to move, but somehow through reflexes and through physical therapy, they're able to learn how to be a little bit more mobile on their legs again. Oh, never heard of that one. So it's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing what, what they've learned in a short period of time. Yeah, I can imagine. So what is your advice? Like we touched upon when they develop an injury while they're with their owner. But what about people looking to adopt a dog that already has a permanent condition? Like what's your advice for them? Sure. Good question. Because we want those dogs to get yes. adopted and out of there. <laughs> First, I have to say is to be realistic. So when you see that dog in their picture and it melts your heart, be realistic Mm. that what this dog is going to be able to accomplish. But that said, I kind of want to back up and say that it is such an honor to take care of a dog with a disability. Some of the dogs, the bonding experiences isn't going to be like any other. Some of the sweetest dogs that I've met and the most appreciative dogs are the ones with disabilities. So don't rule that out. If you have the time and the energy or the interest, you'll find a way to do it. But I would say some of the advice I would get is 
to be realistic. And, and I always say this, be realistic, but remember, you're still going to have what I call 2 a.m. showers. So dogs <laughs> who are, for instance, yeah, you're going to be in that shower somehow at two o'clock in the morning, one time at least. So you have to be realistic. That is a lifelong commitment. And what this dog, learn from the shelter or the rescue group, if they can tell you what this dog is going to be able to accomplish or what is accomplished so far, how the progress has been made. Because again, probably not going to be a dog who's out there running all on their own and completely cured. But, and the other thing is most dogs who have hind end weakness and paralysis are also incontinent. So they're going to be accidents. It's probably going to mean a life that you're having diapers, and you're learning how to manually express somebody's bladder. And again, there will be accidents at two o'clock in the morning on more than one time you're in there taking care of a dog. So mm -hmm. I think if you come in with, with those kinds of goals, you're going to be fine. I think people need to be also realistic about the cost. Yeah. So if you oh. can find out ahead of time, some dogs need ongoing therapies, like maybe they'll need more procedures, more medical procedures down the road, another surgery, right? Like you said about rehab, there are lots of wonderful rehab, but it's a big time commitment. And it Absolutely. is they're not outrageously expensive, but it's a, a price commitment. Dog wheelchairs, if for a large dog, they can be kind of expensive. So it's a matter of just really figuring out what your time commitment is. Also be aware of how you're going to handle certain situations. Do you have the time to take care of a, a dog with a disability? What are you going to do if you have to go to work eight hours a day? Does that dog, is it okay to stay by itself? Are you going to have to have a pet sitter pop in? It, it, none of these are unrealistic. These are things people are doing every single day. It's just a matter of figuring out all the steps and if it's going to fit for your lifestyle. But I think people do really well with it. People do all kinds of things if they have to be at work. Sometimes they can take a dog with them. Sometimes they come home and pop in for lunch So or have the neighbor pop in and do a bathroom break. And then other dogs, they I've known some people that they line a room full of pee pads and they're off and running and they just, when they know come home, they realize that's what they're going to have to do is pick things up and clean up. So it can be done. It's just a matter of being realistic, noticing, realize that there's costs involved, time commitments involved, if, whether or not it's going to fit with your lifestyle. Exactly. Exactly. And it's not impossible. I just want to put it out there. It's not impossible. Yeah, exactly. No, not what at you all. Said. Requires some planning, which is awesome. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you touched on that. In your opinion, how can rescue organizations contribute to helping disabled dogs increase their chances of getting adopted? Because I mean, you know, realistically, a lot of them can't put too much into I guess, marketing, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to sound too insensitive, but yeah, there is a limit to what they can put out there. So what would be your opinion? Well, I think first, and, and I thought about this for a long time, what would I do if my rescue group took in a disabled dog? Yes. And, and a lot of them are doing this. So I think that start with the treatments. So if this dog is going to need rehab, start with some physical therapy now, start with the laser therapy or the acupuncture or what if they could start it, not let them languish in a, a cage or, or a run for a long period of time and start getting them, even again, if it's 15 minutes a day and a volunteer is doing it, if you show them the right way, I think they can get a lot done for these animals to keep their bodies as strong as possible. The other thing that I've seen, and I don't know if they do it on purpose or not, but I think some rescue groups are pretty smart. They offer the dog as a foster dog. 
mm. rather than just straight to adoption. And so again, I've, I've gotten to know a few people and I've seen this over and over again. People write to me and they say, well, I'm fostering so-and-so. And then two months later, end up keeping. she's mine. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I got to know this one woman and, and she's from uh, Texas and she helps foster. She's a foster mom to begin with dogs for, um, I don't remember the name of the rescue group. So one day she contacted me because she was fostering a paralyzed dog named Effie and Effie's a pit bull dog. And Effie is such a sweet dog and such a great personality. She was invited to be in the dog fashion show during fashion week in New York city a few years ago. She had a great time. She sent me pictures and we stay in touch. And just a few days ago, I got an email from her with three dogs standing in a circle, all playing with each other in wheelchairs. And the caption said, yeah, and I'm going to cry. She goes that Effie now has two sisters. Their names are Hope and Eve. And she goes, and now I have three disabled dogs. So I think I don't know if it's planned, but I think if you have somebody who has interest in your area, it's a good technique for a a rescue group to do. Absolutely. And then the other thing I, yeah, I've just seen it happen over and over again. I'm not keeping this dog. This I'm just doing it for a while. And the next thing you know, the dog has won them over or they realize it's not an insurmountable amount of tasks to do. It just just starts with that. And I've seen a lot of dogs end up in permanent homes um, when the person really hadn't thought that was how it's going to end. But you talked about social media. I would still, I would do a lot of social media for the rescue groups because they have a following and you never know who's Who's sharing that dog's story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been in this a long time and you don't know that person who's secretly falling in love with a dog. And once they see that the dog has made some progress or maybe the dog hasn't made progress, it's just really helpful. And uh, I would, again, do the social media dog falls in love, even if they don't live in your area they will find a home. For sure. You just never know. That's how I got my last foster. How he found his Ah. new mom (laughs) is through Google Plus once upon a time when that was a thing. But yeah, she reached out and I was totally unexpecting it. And yeah, it's amazing how how fast these things get shared. Yeah, they get shared. And again, if they don't even live in your very, your area, I know rescue groups are great for transport. So they'll get them to point A to B and the next rescue group will get the dog from B to C and ultimately it'll be at your house. So I wouldn't give up and I wouldn't prevent it from taking in a dog with a disability into a rescue organization because I, I think ultimately they find a home and it works out well. Yes, yes, it does. And I really appreciate your take on, you know, how it could end. It's not always ending bad. But before we wrap up, I do want your take on what you mentioned earlier, because I think it's a, it's not a common treatment that people look to acupuncture. Oh, yeah, I know about it, but it's not a common thing. So what did you notice about acupuncture and their recovery? Well, again, I, I can only speak it from my own. Yes, for sure. Animals. Disclaimer. Yeah, yeah. Because I would say I, that I, I, but I, I do, you talked about holistic veterinarian. That's somebody that I've always run to in addition to my regular primary vet. So we have some holistic veterinarians here. And 
when Sophie started to show her first signs and we went to the vet and they were running all sorts of tests, the holistic vet is who I ran to for acupuncture. Mm -hmm. So we did chiropractic treatments and we did acupuncture, which she didn't mind. I mean, it was kind of crazy. I have pictures of her with the needles all up and down from her tip of her head down to her spine. And she just, you know, would hang out in the room. Again, in her case, I didn't end up seeing any kind of improvement, but I've had other dogs that I've done it for other reasons and it's soothing to them and it's helpful. And I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule. In fact, I always talk about, you talk holistic and I like even integrative veterinarians because they mix both the Western and the the holistic together. So then you aren't running around town like I did having to go to to two different different veterinarians. Yeah, they just have a lot of information, a lot of skills. Uh, Laser therapy works really good for the dogs with IVDD. It helps heal things faster is the point of it. Almost every veterinary office now, at least in the United States, I believe has a laser unit to use on the dog. Where again, I had to run to another part of town to have that taken care of. And that does some wonderful things. There, there are a lot of wonderful products out there and things that, again, you can do at home. So I don't want to discourage once you get the right information and instructions, you can do physical therapy at home. I kind of shy away from hydrotherapy because that you need the water a certain temperature. But there are lots of things. Massage is good for dogs. Learn the techniques. There are books. We have it on my website. So you can learn different techniques on how to take care of that dog at home, as well as with a veterinarian. Perfect. That is amazing. Well, we are out of time. And I really appreciate you coming oh. on today. And thanks to our oh, show. Thank producer. you. Yeah, anytime. Thanks to our show producer, Mark Winter for making this show possible. You can check out Sharon's blog at dogwheelchairlife.com. There's a ton of great information. Yeah, just dig in and, and learn about it if you are in this scenario. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, please email me at beverly at petliferadio.com. So until next time, spread animal compassion. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.